welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Gabe Barrett, founder of Board Game Design Lab Podcast and the largest community of game designers on the internet. He's also a designer and publisher with his newest title, Robomon, which is currently on GameFound. Gabe, welcome to the binge. How you doing, sir? James, I'm doing well, man. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, it's great to have you. From one podcaster to another, it is That's great right. to have you on the show, man. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just a baby in this industry when I compare it to what you've been able to achieve uh, with the Design Lab. I mean, 300 plus episodes is a monumental achievement. Uh, so I want to congratulate you on that first. That is that is awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Although you're coming up on 200 or so episodes yourself. And so you're you're not exactly a young buck. I mean, you've been doing this and you're doing like two a week. Like, that's crazy. I, I don't I never did that. That's that's the next level. Yeah, it's uh, we're going to wander down to probably one a week, I think, through the fall. But uh, yeah, <laughs> two, two a week, as you know, things, uh, especially if you're trying to publish like uh, like yeah. we do at the same time, it can be a, a bit taxing. But right. uh, I absolutely love it. And uh, and I know you love it, too. Right. So that's kind of what gets us into this and uh, and kind of sharing our stories and other people's stories, which I think is pretty awesome. 100 uh, percent. For the people who don't know um you and the board game design lab, and I'm sure most of our listeners probably do, but for those who don't, can you just give us a quick kind of background as to what the board game design lab is? It's a podcast, but it's beyond that, right? Can you, can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it started off as just a podcast. Like I never had any plans, any dreams of more. I literally started a show that I was thinking, Hey, if I can get 10 people to listen to me ramble and me interview people about game design, then I will feel like that is success. And over the course of six years, I think that was that was late 2016 that started. So coming up on six years now, uh, it's just turned into this amazing community. It's 12,000 plus people in the board in the uh, board game design lab Facebook community, and it's just like two million downloads of the show. And like it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like I, I look back and go, <laughs> never thought it would turn out like this. And it's just an amazing group of people now that it's so much more than just a podcast, more than just resources for game designers. It's a, it's a community of people trying to make great games that people love, you know, and trying to encourage each other and play test each other's games and stuff like that. And so yeah. it's just been a lot of fun to see it grow and then just to be a part of it. I think it's awesome. Like, and I would encourage people to check out the, your, your Facebook group. Cause I mean, you'll see, uh, not like you see a lot of people in there. I just recently saw like Tristan Rawson, <laughs> one of his posts, right? Hey, here's some artwork I'm working on, right? Yeah. So people just dropping like little things that they're working on, which is super cool to see. How did, why did you start this podcast in the first place? Where did that come from? Yeah. So 2015, 14, anyway, many moons ago, um, I was working for a church in Atlanta and it's 2013, 2013, I'm working for a church in Atlanta and I was doing all like homeless ministry, domestic stuff, no desire to go outside the country, right? Our church did a lot of stuff internationally, but I was all in Atlanta. Well, I ended up having to go on this trip to Honduras kind of against my will because our, our, our pastor, our, our missions pastor, he had to back out like three days before the trip left and he had me go in his place. And I was not, I was not super excited. I was like, Honduras, where is that on the map? What are we doing? Who are these people I am now leading? Because I've been, you know, I haven't gone to any of the meetings. I don't know anything about what's going on. I'm leading this team. I'm preaching a bunch, right? There's no Chick-fil-A in Honduras. Like, what are we doing, guys? I don't understand. <laughs> and so anyway, I get down there and uh, we're working at an orphanage. 
And during that week that we were there, I ended up meeting uh, a woman who I am now married to. Uh, she nice. was a missionary working down there. She'd been there for a while. And the crazy thing is I'm from Alabama. She's from Alabama. I had to go to Honduras to meet a girl from Alabama. And then uh, we got married and she was in the process of adopting two little girls. And so I came into that process. And so I moved down to Honduras to work at the orphanage alongside her and to oh, wow. you know help try to get these kids adopted and you know eventually move back. And it was kind of crazy as far as like the schedule. We were working three weeks on, one day off, 11 or 12 hours a day in an orphanage of about 500 kids. And so it was just constant draining chaos, right? And it was like fairly organized as best as you can with 500 kids, but it was just like exhausting constantly. And so I started listening to podcasts. I started getting into game design as a way to not lose my mind, as a way to kind of detach and to let go of whatever issues were, were going on of the sure. day and just kind of go somewhere else, design a game. You know, none of them were any good, but it was just like a way to kind of let my brain rest and have some fun. Sure. Never thought publishing, never thought, oh, I'm going to get a game on a shelf one day. Nothing. It was literally just, I'm trying to not lose my mind and this is a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, so that's how I got into kind of game design. And then fast forward a little bit, about a year and a half later, two years later, um, we had left the orphanage. We were working with an organization to help kids like transition out of orphanages and get jobs and go to college and stuff like that. And then I had some time. Then I wasn't working some kind of crazy, you know, 11, 12 hour day schedule. And I, th I started thinking, okay, I want to get involved more in game design, more in the gaming industry. How can I do that from Honduras? Because you're kind of limited. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go to the, the game store and buy a bunch of games and start a review channel. Like, they, like you're very limited in what you can do with limited internet, limited opportunity. And I thought, well, what if, what if I start a podcast? I've got just enough internet to do audio. <laughs> you know, I've got just enough of the things I need. I can, I can buy a $40 microphone from Amazon and, you know, ship it to a friend who's coming down and they can bring it with them. You know, I had yeah. to like figure out all these logistics that you normally don't have to. Um, and that, but that's where it started. I, I literally thought, Hey, if I can get a show going, maybe I can interview some people that I really want to talk to that are yeah. like amazing designers, amazing publishers that I would just love to pick their brain. And if I can do it in a podcast setting, maybe they'll actually agree <laughs> Because <laughs> if I reach out to them like, hey, I've got 25 questions for you. Can you just send me an email? Like they're not going to do that. But but if I can do that in a podcast, all of a sudden it's a little, little different. And But I expected nothing. Like I literally sent emails to I think 12, 10 or 12 people yeah. that I thought, okay, these would be amazing folks. And I was like, if I can just get one or two to start the show, hey, that'd be amazing. And I sent to 12 and 10 of them said yes. And it wow. was like, okay, I guess we are off to the races. And now yeah. I have to actually do this thing. And um. Yeah, I was like, hey, if I can get 10 people to listen, and then all of a sudden thousands of people started listening, and like, it just became this thing. And so, yeah, it started off me trying to cope and just not lose my sanity, and it turned into this amazing community and, and show that I just continued to get, you know, be a part of. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Mike Bruner. He's the, uh, the producer of our show, and uh, when we first started, it was um, – he brought a lot of heavyweights in, in those early episodes. And, you know, I was actually a little intimidated, quite frankly, you know, yeah. uh, talking to people that know way more than I will ever be able to know. Right. Yeah. And, and just picking their brains, but it definitely set us on this path, right. Of, you know, getting as many people in this industry as we can from all facets of the industry right. into the podcast to tell people uh, the stories behind some of these, these people. So when you had decided, Hey, to kind of clear my mind and just keep my Sandy, I'm going to get into start designing some board games and some things just uh, with no expectations of publishing. How did you get to that point? Like, were you 
into board gaming when you're younger, uh, like down in Honduras, did you guys bring some games down with you and you just, you know, you're kind of limited to what you got or what was kind of your journey to get to that, that point where you're like, okay, I'm going to put pen to paper and make some stuff. Cause that in itself is a bit odd, right? That's right. not something that the typical person does. Um, and it's, it's often the seed that gets people going. So for you, what was that? Yeah. So, you know, growing up, I played the normal games, Connect Four and chess and Monopoly and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't until college, though, that I discovered this this new land of hobby games, right? And playing Catan and um, got into D&D in college and just started playing all these games that was like, oh, this this is a whole nother side of this industry that I never knew existed. And I had some good friends in college that um, that had a bunch of those games and we, were, we would play them. And uh, that's kind of where it started as far as me getting into the hobby. And mm. I'm the kind of person that no matter what I do, I want to make it like, I don't want to just read books. I want to write books. I don't want to just yeah. play a game. I want to design a game. I don't want to just watch videos. I want to make videos. Like, like I get the bug to make my own version or make my own stuff, basically no matter what I'm doing. And so that's kind of where it started. So in college, I just started playing around with goofy little ideas and ways to make games. And they're all terrible. Like that's yeah. one thing I, I wish, you know, one thing I really try to get new designers to understand because they're like, everything I make is awful. It's like, yes, welcome to the club of everyone else. Like everything you do in the beginning, especially is just trash. Because yeah. typically it's just copying other people's stuff. And it's like a variant. <laughs> it's like pandemic, but in space. <laughs> it's very normal to do that. Um, but that's where it started. And just um, messing around. And then, you know, graduated, got out in the world working and, you know, didn't have as much time, but I would still every now and then just come back, like have an idea. Like, oh, what if I did this? And it was always stuff that I was interested in. So I made a lot of sports games, which don't do well in the market. And I made a lot of yeah. like zombie games where there's a million zombie, you know, so it's kind of funny to look back on the early games that I was working on, but it was just stuff that I was interested in. And um, yeah, eventually it just kind of, you know, evolved from there. I guess if you're going to offer advice to new designers out there, I think that's probably a good piece of advice is start with what you love and what you're interested oh, yeah. in, right? Who cares yeah. if, if there's a gazillion of that out there, it's at least going to kind of wet your beak, so to speak, and get you, you know, started right along the journey right. and the process. And you know, that it's a learning journey more than anything, right? You learn a lot. If I look back at that first campaign compared to where I am now and the first game we designed to where we are now, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of learning along the way, right? It's yeah, been kind for of sure. crazy. And you can you, chase trends. Like a lot of people, they'll see, yeah. oh, that made a million dollars on Kickstarter. I'm going to go do something like that. Yeah, but if it's not something you really are passionate about, you're, it's not going to work because one, that campaign that made a million dollars, there's no such, there's no overnight success. Like that, it took ten years for that campaign to make a million dollars. Yeah. You know, and if you're just chasing what's popular, chasing what's making money, and it's not something you're excited about or passionate about, you're going to burn out quick. It, it's it's going to be frustrating because you're. you're because you're not going to have that level of success because you don't have the, the skill set to do it, let alone the the buildup of audience and all that kind of stuff that goes yeah. into it. And so, yeah, I think I think that's definitely good advice. It's like, what are you excited about? Do that because you're more likely to finish. You're more likely to keep going and make more stuff if it's something you're passionate about. When I mean, you, you've designed obviously a lot of stuff, right? And when I was looking at your Kickstarter um, uh, kind of profile, I said you had like 13 campaigns you have done there. Mm -hmm. You've now moved over to GameFound uh, with uh, Robomon. What is the the decision process for you, I guess, in choosing one platform over the other? And has it been game specific, or you know what what led you to go GameFound versus Kickstarter this time around? Given that you had done so many campaigns on Kickstarter, yeah, I mean, part of it was just to see. I mean, just an experiment yeah. to see if this is 
you know, what's different, what's better, what's worse. Uh, and also being in my position, I can turn that into content, right? Because now I can go and, and make a podcast. I can write a long blog post and say, Kickstarter versus game found pros and cons. I can turn that into something that will help other people. So yeah. that's another thought I had was like, not, not just doing this for me, but cause I've had several people send me messages asking me, Hey, what are your thoughts? Right now they would not do that if I was not in my position in this kind of game design community where people look to me as, as now, you know, someone to help them yeah. uh, in some way. And so that was also a big part of it. It's like, let me, let me do something because I know other people have these questions and I'm in a position to, to help a lot of people. Um, but also I knew I wanted to see how much sway GameFound would have like being because there's not that many games on GameFound, right? No. And so like you go to the homepage, my game is like typically the first thing you see. Yeah. You know, and ver versus Kickstarter where there's a zillion things going on, you know, um, it's like, how does that affect things? And then GameFound has helped out with some of the marketing, you know, they've been running Facebook ads on my behalf and they've been paying for it and, you know, stuff like that. And so I wanted to see how that would impact everything and then. And then make a decision about the next one. You know, will the next yeah. one be on Game Found or Kickstarter? I don't know yet. You know, still trying to figure that out. But um, I guess that's kind of the, the long and short of it. Is the type of game do you think in, um, important, like for Game Found? Like yeah, we really. launched that game, so I did the same thing. Right? I said, oh, as an experiment, uh, planting mm -hmm. evidence. The last game we just did launched on Game Found, all of our ducks in a row, crash and burned, and we, yeah. we we pulled it after like two days. We're like, this is. Mm -hmm. This is not going well. <laughs> and we yeah. launched on Kickstarter. And of course, he did the same funding in like two hours, right? right. Um, and, but that one's more of a casual sit-down game, right? A gateway exactly. game. And so from my pers my perspective, it seems like uh role-playing games mm -hmm. and R you know, RPG, any kind of like heavier weight kind of games that gamers, I'll put that in quotation marks, would get into seem to do better on GameFound than yeah. casual games. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? I would agree. Uh, if you look at the campaigns that have done really well, yeah, they are. there's a few things you can look, they're very similar. One thing is, typically it's a game from a company that's very well established. Uh, Ryan Lockett's company, Red Raven, you know, he did $2 million on GameFound. Obviously, the Tainted Grail and like all the Awakening, was it Awakening Realms? Anyway, Awakening those games Realms. are going to do amazing because they've already built up a huge audience. So if you're a new company, GameFound is definitely not the place for you because you're not, you, you have to bring more of your crowd. You're not going to get discovered as well as, as on Kickstarter, right? You don't have near the community base already built in. And so I think one thing is, is already have an audience. You know, if you're a huge company, you're going to do a lot better. That's natural, but I think it definitely plays a role on GameFound. But also I think big kind of expensive games do better on GameFound. Uh, I would never do a 20, at least not now, I would not do like a $20 game on GameFound. I don't yeah. think it's, it, it's not the right market. You know, my game is 80 bucks base. Um, and so I think, and it's a campaign game. It's got a lot of content. It's got lots yeah. of like art. And, and so that's one, one another reason why I, I thought, okay, Robomon might do well over here on GameFound. Now, could it have done better on Kickstarter? Maybe, I mean, probably um, just because there's more people on Kickstarter. Yeah. But I think, I think, yeah, if you're doing a casual game, a party game, anything that's like kind of on the, the family side or the cheaper side, Kickstarter still is the, the best way to go. Yeah. So with Robomon, can you can you talk to us about that? What, what is this game all about? Yeah. So basically, I have wanted to play a Pokemon board game forever. Uh, any, I think anybody who grew up playing Pokemon, the video game, back when Red, Blue, and Yellow were the the thing. Um, you, and 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 if you've gotten into board gaming, you're like, I want that experience, but I want to do it with my kids. You know, I don't yeah, want tactile. Just be, yeah. Yeah, and, and sitting around the table and away from a screen, you know, I just want to kind of have this like more physical 
experience and I want to be able to share it with people I really care about and kind of see so how that mix of nostalgia, but also, you know, fun gameplay. And it, I don't, I don't know that Pokemon's ever going to make <laughs> a proper board game. I mean, the TCG obviously is, is still making zillions of dollars. And I don't think, you know, it's not like they have an incentive to do anything. Um, they're the most profitable media company in the entire world, you know, and so they can do whatever they want, but yeah. I don't know that they'll ever make like a proper Pokemon board game. And so I started thinking like, well, what would it look like? What would it look like to create my own world, but still scratch that like itch of going around and, and capturing these animals? And so I was like, okay, let's, let's figure it out. And I worked on this game for years without meaning to. I started actually five or six years ago, and it was like an open world game around the time Breath of the Wild came out on, mm. on uh, Switch. Uh, that Zelda game was just amazing. It's like, okay, how do you make an open world board game? And so I started working on that, but it was way beyond my skill set. And I ran into so many obstacles. I was like, I cannot accomplish this. This is way too much, way too big. And so I shelved it. And then years later, I started thinking through, okay, what does it look like to create like a Pokemon style of game to have that as an inspiration, but then also create a brand new world, brand new IP, you know? Um, and so then those ideas meshed. It was like open world. And at, at that point, I had the skill set. I had figured out how to do a lot more game design stuff. I understood, yeah. understood design theory, understood mechanisms, understood all these things. And so it all kind of came together to be this open world um, experience where you're going around, you're, you're doing battles, and you're, you've got narrative and story options, and uh, you're capturing robots, in my case, with Robomon. You know, it's basically the, the world is... Um, the world kind of ended, had this like apocalyptic kind of thing, and then you were picking up like 50 years after the rebuild where these robotic animals kind of saved the day and fixed the planet and brought everything back to life. And uh, now there's too many of them. And so you are basically going around and um, slaughtering uh, robot animals or, well, no, you don't really blow them up. Um, they, they basically have just run out of stuff to do. And so there's, it's almost like, um, like the deer population here in Alabama, there's too many deer. And so it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure that out. Or the, I think the wild boar population in Texas yeah. is like, okay, we gotta fix this. It's too many. And so you were what's called a Robomon Ranger. And it's your job to go around and kind of reprogram Robomon and repurpose them and take them to new environments. And, but then also, you know, because humans are humans, uh, it became this Robomon fighting league where it's almost like, you know, the NFL, it's, of, of Robomon fighting basically. And so there's that whole storyline where you can capture new Robomon and then put them against other competitors and, and win battles and stuff like that, you know, because it makes good television. Um, yeah. And so it's got a lot going on, but uh, it's been a ton of fun to work on. And it, it comes like with a map book I can see, right? So uh, it lays, lays flat. So yeah, again, that's where a game designer obviously puts their experience into play. There's like, okay, this thing's got to lay flat on a table. Oh yeah. So um, it works well at the dice and so forth. Um, so you've got a solo mode. There's, um, uh, I guess a two player mode as well. Um, how long is this? So it's, it's a campaign and then it eventually, I guess, uh, when you finish it, you can go back through. And although, you know, some of the story elements, uh, my understanding is you can, there's still lots of gameplay there because you can yeah. play a different character and so forth. How long does a game go for? Like how long does the campaign last? Yeah. So it's a true open world game in that there are no like time mm. mechanics. There's no, you know, most every i think this is the only game like this that i know of like i can't find anything every board game it's like okay you have this many action points in a round and you know you can move this many spaces and even if it's kind of open world you're still very very limited by the mechanics of the mm. game whereas i wanted to make a true open world go anywhere do whatever you want yeah it's kind of like the witcher we were like hey i want to i want to ride 
for an hour up north and see what's there. And you get there and it's like, oh, there's a level 50 monster. And it slaughters me immediately. I should not be here. <laughs> but you can do that if you want to, right? I love that yeah. opportunity. And so I wanted to create a game like that. And so if you if you go through like the full campaign, it's kind of got three subplots going on. It'll take you around 30 to 40 hours, oh, awesome. give or take. But if you want to like speed run through a bunch of stuff, you can. Like you, if you just want to go do like the gym battle kind of stuff and you don't want to worry about the narrative, you don't want to worry about like all the big bad evil guy stuff going on. Yeah. Okay. Do that. You know, have fun with it. If you want to just go around and explore and see what's happening and, and completely ignore the battles, you can do that too. And so all in all, 30 to 40 hours for the content, but you can enjoy that content as you wish. Yeah. You know, that's nothing I wanted. Just let players play the game as they want. Right. And that's a lot of gameplay. In. Yeah. Yeah. It's a ton, but, um, but it's fun. It, There's lots of puzzles and lots of different, like the game changes at different moments. You're like, oh, this is new because <laughs> you got to keep people engaged, right? It can't be the exact same uh, loop for 30 yeah. hours. Like they're going to check out. And so trying to, you know, introduce new ideas, introduce new mechanics, but gradually as opposed to, hey, learn, learn things in the beginning that you're not going to use for 10 hours. Like that, that seems like a waste of time. The art style is interesting too. It's got this very video gamey kind of art yeah. style to it. Was that decision based on the nostalgia from oh, when yeah. you're a kid playing uh, Pokemon or yeah? Yeah, 100%. I wanted I wanted someone to see this game and immediately know what they're getting. Right? Oh, mm. this game is a Pokemon inspired experience. Yes. Now a lot of people are like, "Oh, this is a knockoff." You're not exactly wrong because I mean, there's a lot of those games in this like those ideas in this game. Um, but at the same time, trying to do something completely different, totally different world, totally different stakes, different circumstances, different options and choices. And, you know, not like, you know, Pokemon's made for 10 year olds. You know, yeah. it's like, OK, how do you make a game that's really for 35 year olds that can play with their kids, that can play with their their spouse, their loved one, whatever. Um, but then you can also have like 35 year old decisions where you're like, oh, shoot, this is kind of heavy. This is kind of deep. Nothing crazy, nothing like violent or sexual or anything, but just harsh, harder choices. Right. Do I do I pursue the quest to help this kid walk again or do I pursue the quest to help this little girl find her long lost father who was lost in the wilderness? Yeah, because like, I can only choose one. Like, oh, that's a that's a hard choice, you know. And so <laughs> that's been a lot of fun to uh, to work on. But yeah, the art going back to the art. Um, I found a guy on. DeviantArt or somewhere, I don't remember uh, a guy named Liam, and he was making like Pokemon map recreations. He's like, OK, what if we modernize and like create the same Kanto region, pallet town, whatever. Yeah. But what if it looked, you know, basically for 2022 and it was amazing. Like he was so good. And I was like, okay, the game has to have this art like this style. And so uh, I reached out to him and he was on board and, and we've been working together about two years now. And um, yeah, he's been a driving force because he's so good at what he does, but he also has really cool ideas and he'll mm -hmm. put stuff in the maps. And I'm like, Oh dang, that's a, that's a great, I never thought about it. Let's, yeah, let's, let's lean into that and let's make that part of the narrative. And so it's been a lot of fun. It's certainly, I think, uh, it's a testament to what you've put together. There's, you know, I mean, it looks like 165,000 you've already uh, reached so far. Uh, so congrats on that. You still got seven days Thanks. left, 1,546 backers. So clearly game found was the right choice in this regard. And, um, and, and you've got a lot of great followers, which is, which is super cool. Um, pivoting back to the board game design lab podcast. I've noticed there hasn't been an episode in, in a couple months um what what's where's where's the board game design lab going like where what's what's the plan there yeah so i did an episode every week for 300 week 301 weeks in a row <laughs> yeah. which is a lot, you know, it's it's a lot. and you know it's a lot and i got to a point where 
I was thinking about is around episode 275. And I was like, what do I want to do long term? Because I knew around that time that we were finally going to be able to move back to the United States. And it's like, okay, life is changing. Uh, at the time, I was working for a school. I was teaching English at a high school in the mountains in Honduras at that point. And I was like, okay, my job is obviously changing. Um, my, my living situation is going to be changing. Everything about my life, like almost 100%, was changing. And so I really started putting like everything on the table and going, okay, what if, what if it all changes? Like, what if I don't do the podcast anymore? Like, what does that look like? And I started thinking through, okay, what could I do? And um, I got really excited not about ending the podcast, but about going to do other things. Mm. And so I was like, let me, let me do 301 episodes. And that way, you know, I feel like that's a, that's a good number to end on. And I've got some idea. And there was still a handful of guests that I had not had on the show that I really wanted to talk to. Yeah. And there were a handful of people that I had, that had been on the show that I wanted to bring back on and talk to them again. Like some of my favorite people in the world. It's like, okay. So I kind of created a plan for 26 episodes and I plugged in like all the people I really wanted. And luckily I was able to get them all. Um, it was really cool. Like some people that were really hard to catch, like really hard to contact, uh, they ended up being able to come on the show. And so that was really cool to kind of end things on a, on a really high note, you know, talking to Alan Moon and some of those other folks that are just yeah. amazing. And had Jamie Stegmaier on for the final episode. He was on the first episode, like he was number one and number 301. So it was kind of this cool full circle thing. And we got to chat about this things that have happened and changed over the years. But um, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't burnt out. I wasn't necessarily ready to be done. I was just ready to go do something else. And so part of that was Robomon and really focusing on publishing and designing and bringing this game and some other games to life. So I wanted to see what happens if, you know, I go from this being my like third time job, you know, where I'm spending just a handful of hours a week. What if I switch that around and that becomes like 50 hours a week? Like how, yeah. how good can this be? You know, what can I do? And so that was a big thing. And then also just pivoting into not just content on with podcasts and not just game design content, but like, what does it look like to make video and to do things that are kind of bigger, I guess, like more about creativity and productivity mm. and just trying to help people and encourage them to make their own stuff, whether they're a game designer or not. Right. So kind of going bigger, I guess. And so that's one thing I've been working on that'll hopefully launch later this month as a, a YouTube channel where it's, you know, videos just trying to help people make cool stuff, not necessarily board games, right? I think board yeah. game designers are, are going to really benefit from this information because it helps everybody. Um, but it's it's kind of a bigger picture than uh, than just game design. And so anyway, um, I'm just excited about other stuff. And so we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I can always come back. That's another thing. I, I didn't end the show and be like, all right, I'm done forever. You know, <laughs> farewell. Oh, right off in the sunset. But um, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm excited to see what happens. And some of it's going to go well and some of it's going to crash and burn. And that's okay too, because I, I just want to see what happens. Yeah. You got to try stuff, right? Uh, you don't know until you try. So the board Better game design. Say, oh, well, then what if? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, with the board game design lab um, branding, will that, like, are you going to basically reskin these new adventures basically under the board game design lab? Like, are you going to continue that brand forward? So, yeah, that continues on. Like, the Facebook community is amazing and that doesn't change. You know, I'm still around. It's not like I'm going to go off and, and leave and <laughs> never come back. Um, the Board Game Design Lab, the website, the show, you know, the podcast, it stays up, all that. Um, I'm basically kind of doing a new thing that's, I don't know, the, the YouTube channel is more about kind of, I guess, my personality and doing videos that I'm excited about. And so, you know, sometimes that's going to be about creativity. Sometimes that's going to be about productivity. Sometimes that's going to be about, Hey guys, let's just, let's just hang out. Let's just sit down and do a Q and a and like, what do you got going on? And um, just whatever kind of gets me excited. Cause the one thing I've noticed, like I've been doing a lot of research 
on YouTube and what's effective and what gets people to subscribe and, you know, people to watch your stuff and all that. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed, a lot of the people that I am attracted to, like their channels, it's not because they're the productivity guy. It's not because they're the insert topic here person. It's because I like them. Like they yeah. are interesting people. They're fun to kind of hang out with, quote unquote, you know, and they're, they're people that you just kind of want to be friends with. And so that's really helped me lately to go, okay, I don't have to just do top 10 lists about how to be a better whatever. Like I can just make content that invites people to come along for the journey, right? Say, hey, let's talk. Let me tell you a story, you know, and just tell people about things that have happened to me and things that I've experienced, highs, lows, you know, success and failure. But basically just to invite people along for a journey and to let them know they're not alone, right? Let, let's sit down. Let me tell you about the biggest failure of my life. Let me yeah. tell you about this thing that went really, really well and why I think it happened. Not because you're going to be able to recreate it because it's not possible. Like you're not me and I'm not you, but there are still things that you can learn along my journey that will help you along in yours. And so that's nothing I'm just excited about. You know, I'm all about storytelling. I'm all about, you know, connecting with people and trying to help them, you know, create cool stuff. That's been my mission for years is just encouraging people to get whatever's in their head out and onto a table. In most of the cases, you know, create cool games, but it's really just create stuff because the world needs it, right? Yeah. There are people out there that need your poem, your game, your video, whatever, because it's going to hit them a certain way that's going to make their life better. And But you just got to get out of your head and out into the world. And so what does that look like? And just encouraging and helping people uh, to do that. And I'm, I'm just pumped about what, you know, what that looks like. Oh, super cool. With Robomon, what, what comes after Robomon? Is there an extension on that, more downloadable content, or are you on to yeah. another game? Like, what's that next, uh, the next step? Yeah, so Robomon... The cool thing about that game and the system I've built it on is that it is literally endlessly expandable. Like there's yeah. no reason why we can't do a new one every year. Now it won't be like a big epic experience necessarily, but you can say, hey, you discovered this island and this island has all these new Robomon and there's all these new people to battle and this new little subplot and story. And it's not a 40 hour experience. It's a 10 hour experience and it's $25 instead of 80. Like there's so many cool things and we're already working on expansions and standalone expansions. And I've had, excuse me, I have so many people that just want the battle system I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's endlessly expandable as well. And then we're also working on some really cool like community-driven stuff. I had a guy reach out and he's like, hey, you know, I, I know how to program stuff in Unity and I've got this idea. I think I can make a Robomon card creator where anybody can just go online and make their own Robomon. And I was like, well, let's do that. And then so we're working on that where you can make your own Robomon, make your own oh, battle. That's cool. Make your like use the assets from the game, make those publicly available. And be like, hey, make your own scenario, make your own, you know, battle situation, put your own icons in there, make your own Robomon to fight against. And here's, you know, and so I'm really excited about the community side as well, because this is more than just a game. I'm really trying to build up a community that comes together and, and creates cool stuff without me, you know, and then obviously yeah. if it's really, really good, it's like, hey, let's, can I, can I license that? Can I pay you some money? And then we put it <laughs> in the next expansion, you know, and so there's also that as well. Um, you know, there's lots of other games that are, are coming down the road, but Robomon's really the kind of driving factor, driving oh, force awesome. with uh, where my company is headed from here. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast and to see the success you've had so far with Robomon. Uh, it's exciting, man. It's exciting. Yeah. I know this is a project that when you put that much passion into it to then see it succeed, because there's a lot of projects out there that people put a lot of passion into and then they crash and burn. Right. Yeah. So when you have those cases when they actually succeed, Man, you got to be just walking on cloud nine. And uh, I'm so happy for you, man. This next stage of the board game design lab. 
Thank you so much for coming on. And I want to wish you all the best in this coming year. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Thanks again for having me. No worries. Take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Thank you.